Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, and all you cool cats and kittens, welcome back to Basketball Conference, the ACC football podcast. My name's Joey Weaver. He is Mike McDaniel. Mike, I have a very important question to ask. Um, as we go through these these uncertain, difficult times, um, there's, there's really something that comes to mind that I, I think is the defining question of this era. When was the last time that you wore full-length pants? We're talking jeans or khakis or some chinos, even even like sweatpants or joggers. I wore sweatpants today. Oh, um, really? It's either been yeah, man. It's been kind of cold here. It's been kind of cold here. I guess now, I forget not everybody lives on the Gulf Coast. Yes. Now I I will say, um, yesterday. So everybody talks about global warming. I know it's a thing. Everybody chill out. But, um. <laughs> It was like 50 degrees yesterday here in Virginia, which everybody's like, oh, that doesn't sound too bad. But there were like 15 to 20 mile per hour winds. Mm -hmm. So it felt like it was in the low 40s. Mm -hmm. And um, yeah, yesterday was May the 9th. So I'm not about that. Today was 65 degrees, which is great. So yeah, yeah, I've been wearing a lot of sweatpants and or shorts. Um, But as far as like regular work pants or jeans or anything like that something that i would wear to work to look semi-presentable it's been a while it's been a long while yeah the reason i ask it and i was where i was going with this is and for one for one part you know being in houston where i live weather has been pretty nice for the last two months uh it's it's been pretty much shorts weather um as we record this here on uh, sunday may the 10th in the evening uh, happy mother's day belated to those who uh who are celebrating who have reasons to celebrate Mother's Day, we uh, appreciate all the mothers in our, our lives and in our listenership. Um, but as we will plan to release this podcast on Monday, May 11th, Mike, that will mark two full months from the last day that I was in my place of business and two full months since I have worn pants that covered my knees. And it is, it is a, it's a good feeling, but it's a weird feeling. Good God, man! Two, yeah, it's two full months. That's pretty. I mean, if you think about that, it's pretty wild that we've been stuck inside that long. It is, yeah, it is bizarre. Um, Yeah, but here we are. I do believe the last day I was in the office was March 11th. So, yeah, um, I I am supposed to be going back this week, at least on Wednesday, just for like one day. So uh, we'll see how that goes. I'll report back, but um, hopefully this finds you and everyone at home and everyone listening and all their friends, family, loved ones. Um, everyone healthy, staying, staying healthy and, and uh, staying safe again in, in, a, uh, in the midst of the ongoing COVID-19 pandemic. Um, hopefully what we can provide you here in this episode is a little bit of a distraction. If, uh, if need be, you know, if you're certainly on a front line in the front lines working or anything, um, we, we appreciate those who are. And uh, hopefully we can give you a little bit of entertainment here as a relief if, uh, if that's the case. And at the very least, we'll entertain ourselves for 45 to 50 minutes, like every, we usually do. Every time, Mike. Every time. Every time. Uh, let's let's jump in here, Mike, real quick. we got some newsy items that we need to catch up on. It's, it's only been about three weeks, but we do have some content. And before anybody else, before we go any further, we are going to conclude this episode with an NFL draft recap. So there's going to be some more pointed items here up front, but uh, by the end of the episode, we are going to hit on some more broad conversation topics. So... 
stick with us. Um, biggest newsy item I think that has happened within the ACC here in the past few weeks. We found out recently that uh, Virginia, as they look to replace Bryce Perkins, they are getting a transfer quarterback. It is not going to definitively be the Brennan Armstrong show in Charlottesville, Mike. Not, not Vanilla Vic. <laughs> Going to leave that right there. Uh, yep. No, in, in fact, Virginia getting a transfer quarterback and one Keaton Thompson uh, coming from Mississippi State where he played for a couple years under Joe Moorhead, and I believe he was there the last year of the Dan Mullen era too. Um, a, a rather talented kid, Mike, and is this, is this a guy that you feel like could give a potential, you know, almost like just pick up the torch and keep running with it from what Bryce Perkins was giving Virginia? He's a style fit. That's mm-hmm. for sure. He's a style fit. Um, not the best passer on the planet, but he's mobile. And you know what? That worked out for UVA with Bryce Perkins. So why wouldn't it work out here with Tayon Thompson? Um, you know what's interesting about this? I, in my personal opinion, if Bronco Mendenhall thought that it was such a slam dunk, like the fans think it is, that Brandon Armstrong would be the quarterback, I don't think he brings in Thompson as a transfer. No. No, if, there, if there's a defined think... starter, you're not going to get a transfer at, at this per- position in particular. Yes, um, not a quarterback, and especially not a guy with the experience that he has under center. So mm-hmm. that's all I will say about that. Um, don't think it's as big of a slam dunk as UVA fans seem to think it is. Now, do I think Brian Armstrong will play? Yes, I do. Um, I think Thompson will play a considerable role as well. I would not be surprised if UVA played two quarterbacks next year. That would not surprise me even a little bit. Um, yeah, it was very interesting. It piqued my interest mostly because looking at Brennan Armstrong, you know, kind of coming into this new season, I was thinking, okay, he'll be the starter. He'll take over for Perkins and there's obviously potential with Armstrong, but I'm thinking, you know, maybe the offense looks pretty similar to what it was under Bryce Perkins, but you don't have as elusive of a playmaker under center. Um, and maybe it takes a little bit before you get to that point if at all. Mm-hmm. Um, but now I'm wondering like how much of the field does Armstrong see? And even if Armstrong comes in and is, the, you know, the starting quarterback heading into the new year, I think Thompson is going to play a role. So yeah, this was very interesting to me and I'm curious to see what Bronco does here. I think he wants to have as many starters at his disposal as possible. And you know what? The transfer portal worked before, um, obviously bringing in Bryce Perkins, as a JUCO transfer, um, and can it work now moving into the new year with Thompson in the fold and Brennan Armstrong still there um, as a guy who could potentially fill in and, and be the starting quarterback for UVA? I, I'm very interested to see this quarterback competition evolve. I, I tend to agree. I, the It's going to be interesting because, as you mentioned, I mean, Thompson is not the most illustrious passer. Um, he finishes... Two seasons at Mississippi State, 2017 and 18. He didn't really play in 2019. But 2017 and 2018, he finishes under 50% completion both years. And that's only a grand total of about 105 passing attempts over two years. Uh, but not a lot in the way of you know accuracy, we'll say. Um, what he did give you was a pretty credible rushing threat. Um, he averaged... Six yards per carry in 2017 and around nine and a half in 2018. Um, So certainly a very, very gifted athlete. He was a pretty well-regarded four-star recruit out of uh, New Orleans. And and so he he gives you something for sure. Um, I I don't think even as 
as much as we felt like at times Bryce Perkins could be limited as a passer, he's Thompson is not even going to be as good as what Perkins was. Um, but Bronco Mendenhall historically has done well with these dual threat quarterbacks and kind of reshaping the offense to fit, you know, specific skill sets. And, and the only tough thing then becomes if, if you do want to kind of go back and forth between Keaton Thompson and Brandon Armstrong, well, you're, you're almost having to change gears of the offense entirely every time one or the other is out there. So yeah. Yep. That's going to be something to watch, but a guy at the very least, you know, again, great athlete should, should be a good addition to the team. I, again, I don't think that if, Brennan Armstrong were a slam dunk starter. I'm with you. They would not be looking for a transfer quarterback. Um, but it'll be interesting to see kind of what, what where this ends up going. Um, the, the Virginia quarterback situation very much in flux. And even if, let's say, that you do feel like this is a an absolute home run pickup for Virginia, I, I do just want to make sure we keep in mind here that Virginia has other pieces to replace here as well. They're, like almost the entire receiving core, you know, almost – Anybody who was catching passes last year has to be replaced. Yeah, Terrell John is basically all that's left for UVA as far as a playmaker on the outside. So because of that, I would not be surprised if Bronco Mendenhall just kind of makes a determination on playing time, even if he is splitting time between the two quarterbacks. I wouldn't be surprised if he just says, you know what, who's the better runner? Because Virginia had so many issues when Bryce Perkins was not carrying the ball last year. Wayne Tulapapa really struggled to get going in the running game. He's going to need something out of his quarterback in the running game at the very least. And given the fact that UVA is lacking proven pass catchers on the outside heading into the new season, it would not surprise me in the least if Bronco Mendenhall, when he was divvying up playing time, said, you know what, who's the better runner? Mm -hmm. Which sounds counterintuitive at the quarterback position, but if you're not getting much out of your running game, because there's no reason to think they're going to get much more than what they got a year ago with Wayne Tolapapa, unless there's just really improved offensive line play across the board until Papa all of a sudden becomes a much better running back than he was a year ago. There's no reason to think that running game from anybody who's not a quarterback is going to get a whole lot better. So when looking at how to replace Bryce Perkins, it becomes a question of, okay, how can I best replace his rushing ability, especially with lack of proven playmakers on the outside? But mm -hmm. Bronco might look at some of these young guys who are going to step into the receiving core. Terrell John, of course, coming into a senior season, being kind of the veteran presence there. And being like, hey, look, I actually like some of these guys, so <laughs> let's see how we can get them the ball in space. And if he wants to go that route, maybe he just goes with the better passer, and then maybe Armstrong's playing a bit bigger role than we expect. Mm -hmm. But I think it's clear Armstrong's a better passer than Thompson, but as far as who's the better runner, I think Thompson might be it. And if it was such a slam dunk with Armstrong being kind of like the dual threat guy and, and the prime guy to replace Bryce Perkins, I don't think Thompson is in the program right now. So... That's something to monitor, something to watch, especially when you consider the whole roster composition of the offense. It's like, hey, you know what? How are we going to best try to move the ball and manufacture points? At the very least, another very, very talented athlete added to the Virginia quarterback room. He'll help. Yeah. I mean, he will help for sure, without a doubt. Even if Armstrong's really good, I think they'll find ways to get Thompson the ball in his hands. Yeah, and I, and I think he's a guy, As you, I mean, as you kind of allude to there, that's what you want. You want the ball in that guy's hands. Um, he, he can make guys miss. He, he's a big, strong kid. Um, so he brings a lot to a, to a team and to an offense. Yeah, should help. Mike, speaking of Virginia, we need to respond to a couple of uh, communications that we got from our listeners following our last episode. 
What a nice way to put it, Joey. Yeah, and let's start with, so the, these two communications that we got uh, came from a Virginia fan and an NC State fan, which, hmm. um, let's start here. I personally do not have anything against NC State. I personally do not have anything against UVA. I think they're both nice programs. I, I want to see them succeed. If, if one of them could jump up and, and give the ACC a second legitimate national title contender, I would love that more than anything. Mike, you have nothing against NC State. You would love to see them jump up and, and do that whole thing. Virginia might be another story entirely, but nothing real personal, at least with NC State on your end, certainly with neither of these programs on my end. Is that fair? I hate your team. Yeah. No, so okay. Okay. If, you're a, if you're a fan of this podcast I, and I have something bad to say about your team on a given podcast, it, including my own, I'm a Virginia Tech alum, for those of you new to the show. Um, wait till we get to the Virginia Tech recruiting part wait, of this podcast. Oh, I, have, I have some thoughts about that, Joey. Bullets in the chamber uh, there. <laughs> oh, yeah. I got some bullets in the chamber, baby. Um, I got some thoughts there, so stick around. <laughs> um, I, yeah. Nobody is safe. I don't know how many times, and if you're new to the program, I understand, but let me tell you and let me lay this out. For those of you who have been with us since season one of this podcast, you know what I'm about to say. Nobody is safe. Nobody. Ever. Nobody is safe. I will make fun of anybody, any coach, any coaching staff, any player. Um, I will make fun of recruiting. I will make fun of literally anything. I make fun of Joey. Mm-hmm. Nobody is safe. <laughs> okay? So as we kind of dive into both of these conversations, keep that in mind. Continue. Please do. Uh, Jacob Barnes writes in, in response to where I was talking about on the last podcast, you know, potentially a, a group kind of separating themselves atop the ACC is we, t- we kind of projected Florida State and UNC and Georgia Tech a little bit after some recent changes Plus, Louisville seems to be, you know, doing well. Um, we talked about Virginia Tech and Miami, uh, obviously then going with Clemson. And in response, Jacob says, I, I ask this because I'm genuinely curious. What makes Georgia Tech a program that is elevating themselves? You talk about UVA needing to prove it, but GTDU is in that second tier going forward already. They had a really nice 2020 recruiting class, but what else? And, and in response, first of all, I would say, that is a fair question. It is a fair criticism of me to be acting like Georgia Tech has really accomplished something already. Um, they they got the fans excited on Twitter. They got a nice recruiting class last year, and that's about all this coaching staff has to uh, has to speak for at this point. But they love Waffle House, also. They love Waffle House and hashtags and cool edits on Twitter and. Uh, you know, there's there's things that are going to wear thin on people fairly quick, you know, but they recruit well, it seems like. I don't know. So it, it is a it is to me a little bit of a projection. It is the same thing with Florida State, right? Florida State, I don't know if they made a bowl game this year, but it was if they did, it was barely. Um, Georgia Tech didn't make a bowl game or anything close. Um, you, you look at UNC, I mean, six and six this year, and granted, all those losses were close. But like, what what I'm trying to do here is kind of project out a little bit, and I'm seeing some of the changes that some of these schools are making, um, and trying to project out what we could be seeing in in two to three years, um, and schools kind of elevating, putting themselves in position to elevate their talent level in a way that we haven't really seen a cluster of schools do in the ACC in recent years. You know, in recent years, I would say that Clemson has obviously had the most talent. Florida State, to some degree, has also had a bunch. And then it's 
pretty clearly like Miami and Virginia Tech. And then there's a pretty steep drop off. You know, those are about the only four programs that are like reliably recruiting in what the top 30 level, maybe even top 40. And so I I think if you have several programs that kind of jump up into that level, I think it can kind of change the complexion of the conference, not only within the conference, but even on the national level at some point and kind of how everything relates. So completely fair, completely accurate that, uh, you know, it's, it's probably a little bit early to be jumping on Georgia Tech and saying, oh, yeah, yeah, this is a team, you know, that for sure is going to be really good in two years because we don't know. We haven't seen it yet in, in so many different ways. How many times yeah. did I talk about how horrifically coached they look last year at times, especially on offense? Like, my goodness. It was terrible, you know, but maybe if they get that worked out, get that fixed, I, I'm just saying, you know, there, there's teams and programs that seem to be making changes in the last couple of years that might rearrange the complexion from what we've been seeing in, in years before is all I'm saying. I think with, with Georgia Tech in particular, like the defense, I thought took steps forward as the year kind of went along last year. Um, recruiting has obviously been pretty good since Collins came on board, which is a positive um, because you'll remember like Georgia Tech, you know, they were a team, especially offensively, that was completely changing everything they were doing. Right. They were they were an option team for a really, really long time under Paul Johnson. And mm-hmm. when you go from that to I don't know what kind of offense they were trying to run last year, but I think a product of that was they just didn't have the personnel to run what they wanted to run. Um, I think you'll start to see more of an identity on offense moving forward, um, especially as Jeff Collins and his staff continue to recruit guys to kind of fit that vision of what they want to do on offense moving forward. But last year, they were kind of running multiple different looks offensively. They never really got into a rhythm because of it. Some of that I blame on the coaching staff and their lack of ability to adapt. But also I blame just the fact that you are completely changing offensive systems and things like this take time. Mm -hmm. So I think what... I think what we're looking at is defensively, they were good. Um, Maybe not good, but they were getting better, improving as the year went along. Jeff Collins has coached very good defenses before. I think it's safe to say in three years, in the next three years, Georgia Tech will have a top, you know, five or six defense at worst in the ACC. They'll be Mm -hmm. in the top half of the conference defensively, um, if not sooner. And then um, on the recruiting trail, they're doing a really nice job. And Jeff Collins has won everywhere he's gone also. Mm-hmm. So I think that, I you know, not to say he won't succeed at Georgia Tech. I have no idea. But I think what you'll start to see is more of an identity offensively. And I think that Georgia Tech will definitely improve. Um, they, they went, what, 2-10 and 10 last year? 3-9. Uh, they went 3-9 and nine last year. So I, th- I, I would expect a 1-2 to two win improvement. And I think if you're a Georgia Tech fan pushing for a bowl game or at least being in the conversation for a bowl game after year two, when you completely change everything you're doing on offense is welcomed, right? Like you want that sort of progression. That way, when you get to year three, all of a sudden, okay, we have expectations. Let's not only try to get to a bowl game, let's try to get to seven wins or eight wins. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that's fair to point out, just given what we've seen defensively, what we've seen on the recruiting trail, the fact that Jeff Collins and his staff, they've won before other places. Um, and the fact they had to totally turn over the offense. Now, if we get into the season and George Tech all of a sudden doesn't look like they know what the hell they're doing on offense again, then we're having a different conversation. Then we're like, okay, he's now in his second year. Things do take time offensively still, but like they need to be able to get the ball past the 50 yard line, like on more than like 
15 percent of their drives something like that right like it needs to look like they're moving in a better direction offensively than they did last year to inspire any sort of confidence of the long-term kind of longevity of the collins era and what they can do offensively and what their ceiling is going to be as a team mm-hmm. I'm trying to remember what the final count was they scored 27 touchdowns as a team the entire year and that includes a, f- a couple of defensive touchdowns in there like yikes yeah, that's that's where we're starting from. <laughs> like, yeah, it only goes up yeah. from here. <laughs> yeah, like year negative one. Yeah, um, not great. Yeah. Um, so I mean, they there is still so much to prove. Now, the other thing, the other piece of this that Jacob mentions is talking about Virginia needing to prove it. And I think what I mean by that is that they can sustain a levels of success that we saw last year. Now, let's let's start here, Mike. Who did I pick in the preseason to win the ACC Coastal Division? You picked Virginia, Joey. I did pick Virginia. That is correct. And, and you and stuck by it. I stuck by it. Yeah. And lo and behold, Bronco and them boys uh, came through for me. And I, I'm happy about that. Like, I like to be right. Um, and and it, was, it was a year that you could kind of see this coming, right? You had all these seniors on offense. You had a, a dynamic quarterback there in Bryce Perkins. One of the uh, best players in school history. I'm not afraid to say that after only two years of being under center. Yeah. Oh, oh, yeah. I mean, he's a memorable guy. He was the do-everything guy for that offense. Even on defense, you had a ton of guys, uh, you know, not even all these that many experienced guys, but, you know, good good guys coming back. It was like, with what everybody else is going through in the Coastal, Virginia is in good enough position to do this, you know, for sure. That was the thought process. And sure enough that they did. But again, that's kind of considering circumstances there, right? Like, and, and if we look at kind of what Bronco Mendenhall has done in his four years at Virginia, it was two and 10, six and seven, eight and five, and now nine and four. And I'll, I'll mention here that the eight and five had a pretty soft out of conference schedule where they went three and one. Uh, and, and there were a few close wins in there, that kind of thing that, and a brutal loss in Blacksburg. Yeah, that, that's true. Um, a, a huge choke. Um, so, all to say, I just I'm not I'm not convinced that what we saw from Virginia in 2019 is what we should expect to be the average over the next five years, right? Like that was a team that was kind of hitting its peak, and at some point there's going to be a little bit of regression before they're able to get back to that peak, and and that's how most programs across the country work, right? You saw Georgia Tech go what 11 and three and win an Orange Bowl in 2014, and then 2015 they go three and nine maybe. Like, these things happen, right? Like, this is just how programs work is, is they kind of ebb and flow at times. And so I don't I don't see Virginia elevating themselves to a level of consistency just yet that makes me think that I think they're going to win another division title or two in the next four years. I, just, I, don't, I don't see that personally. That's me and my, my personal opinion. Yeah, I mean, Virginia is going to try to figure out how they're going to replace one of the best quarterbacks in school history. Um, that's pretty significant and you look at the last few years recruiting for virginia and when you talk about sustained success we're going to have a similar conversation about virginia tech here in a second joey when you talk about sustained success you got to look to the recruiting rankings a little bit recruiting in the acc so unless you're a really elite program and i'm talking like one of the top five to ten programs in the country Recruiting is not necessarily the greatest indicator for whether or not your team's going to be good because there are a lot of coaches that can develop 
mid to high end three star talent and low end four star talent and put together a really respectable team win eight or nine games a year be competitive in big games uh, but when you talk about the upper echelon of college football and kind of the ruling class, so to speak, the Clemsons, the Alabamas, um, you know, the Ohio States, those types of teams at the top, Georgia has been there now for a few years running under Kirby Smart. Like those teams are recruiting at such a high level that they're putting themselves in the conversation for the playoff and the national championship. And there's a reason why only a handful of teams are doing that. And that's because they're recruiting far better than everybody else. That's just a fact. They're pulling in more five star guys. And they're developing all the other talent, too. And therefore, their teams are just elite every year. For the rest of college football, whether you have a top 15 class or, or top 50 class, it's really about developing the talent. Now, when you look at UVA, the 2019 uh, class, they were the seventh ranked uh, school in the ACC in 2019. Um, this past 2020 class, Virginia ranked as this loads. Uh, Virginia was the ninth ranked recruiting class. And the 2021 recruiting class, it's early, Joey. It's it's only May, but Virginia has the fourth ranked class in the ACC. So, like, recruiting is getting better. Of course, that's not to say Virginia still can't finish sixth or seventh or whatever or higher in the ACC by the time it's all said and done for 2021. Mm-hmm. But when you talk about sustained success at Virginia, it's not just one season, right? Um, they did a really nice job this past year at developing talent, harnessing everything that they had with all their seniors on the roster. And you had Bryce Perkins coming into his own and they really didn't have an existent rushing attack that like we just talked about Mm -hmm. outside of Bryce Perkins. So that made it all the more interesting to watch your offense work and watch kind of Perkins carry the load. And he did it very successfully. And Virginia's defense was good last year. They had a very good defense. They were a good team. They were a good, solid team. Um, They were top 25 team most of the year. Um, But can they, do that moving forward now you talk about all the guys they have to replace you talk about the basically the mid-tier recruiting classes they're putting together i don't know and i think bronco's a good coach and he's done far better than i expected him to at uva and it's not because he's recruiting really well but it's because he's developing talent and he got a quarterback in bryce perkins that was really really good and i worry that uva might be falling into kind of the virginia tech trap right where they had a really good quarterback in gerard evans in year 1 and they had a pretty good quarterback in year 2 and part of year 3 with josh jackson and then all of a sudden those guys are gone you're kind of searching for a quarterback and you're replacing a bunch of guys on defense and your team slips right mm-hmm. and that's kind of the concern i have with virginia like can they adequately replace bryce perkins and all the talent around him and and can they continue to develop guys who aren't necessarily the highest recruits in the world. And if Bronco can do that, he's going to have a good program at Virginia for a long time. Next five years, Mike, how many of them will Virginia at least make a bowl game? I don't know if they may see. I'm not that high on them this year. Mm-hmm. Um, I was going to go four. I was going to say four. Um, so, I could I could still see them making a bowl game this year. I don't think they're gonna like bottom bottom out. Yeah. Um. But I think they could be in kind of like that five to seven win category this year. Yeah. Just kind of taking a modest step back from last year, considering all they lost on offense. Yep. But I would have said four to five bowl games. If you think that they'll miss a bowl game this year, I I don't expect them to miss bowl games two years in a row or anything like that. I think Brock is too good of a coach. Yep. So if they're going to miss a bowl game, maybe this is the year, but then after that, I don't expect to miss any more bowl games. So I would say four conservatively, but still I'd probably maybe even say five. Yep. No, I I completely agree. Um, and, And that's what we've talked about in the past is that this program is going to have a relatively high floor 
under this coaching staff. Um, you go back, looking all the way back into the middle of the Al Groh era, and putting two bowl games together back to back. I don't know if it happened until Bronco Mendenhall showed up, right? Like they went like ten years without going to back to back bowl games. Um, that those days, I do believe, are over. Um, so th- this is this is progress. This is improvement for the program. But you're gonna have to keep taking steps in consistency and, and kind of high performing over several years at a time to make me believe that this really is becoming something fundamentally different than it ever was. Yeah. That's all I've got. Yeah. I mean, UVA's best coach in school history is probably George Welsh. And I'm not saying Bronco is Welsh, mm-hmm. but I'm saying he's probably the next best thing they've had since Welsh. Like Bronco's going to be better than grow. He's certainly going to be better than London. Mm-hmm. And he's got staying power at Virginia. And it's not because he's recruiting at this elite level, but it's because he knows how to coach. And he did at BYU. He's done yep. something similar at BYU before, right? Where like he didn't necessarily recruit these high recruiting classes because of the re- recruiting restrictions as a Mormon institution. And you can only bring in a certain type of player, a certain type of student that's you know following the same religion. Yep. And he did a really nice job developing talent there. And he's brought that same sort of prowess to Virginia, coming across the country, not knowing the recruiting landscape, still pulling in respectable classes, and then developing that talent. And he's got a way to do that. And that's why their floor is going to be so high as long as he's the head coach. Yep, that's correct. Uh, let's keep moving. The other, uh, you, the other listener communication that we had coming out of the last episode, Randy, uh, messaged us on Facebook. This is the first time we've gotten one of those in quite a while, but we oh, do yeah. appreciate the message. Randy uh, says, I'm tired of the hate of Dave Doran and bashing NC State football. Down year in 2019 and some underperforming, but the new staff, including some former Virginia Tech guys, including Wiles and Mitchell, will show improvement over Coach Huxtable and Co-OC. Let's see if we can get football this fall if injuries were a big reason for the down year. Uh, Randy, that's something that we don't talk enough about I think on this show is how many injuries NC State had to deal with last season and it was yep. pretty pretty rampant um, pretty ridiculous bad. it was bad yeah pretty just fundamentally ridiculous how much injury bad luck they had to deal with um, so I I, I I will concede that completely that we we don't give them enough of a uh, mulligan off of that. it was Florida Florida State levels of bad yeah. on the injury front yeah I mean it was ago. again it was it was ridiculous um Here's the thing that I, I think we need to agree on here, and, and the concern is NC State's offense last year, first year without Eli Drinkwitz, um, first year without Ryan Finley, and several of the other guys that left for the NFL with him. You figured that there was going to be a bit of a reset there. My concern is that NC State didn't score 30 points against a Power 5 team all year. Um, my concern is that NC State had three different starting quarterbacks throughout the year, none of which played in all 12 games, at least one of which off the top of my head has uh, transferred out since then. I believe Matthew McKay transferred out. Um, I mean, as much as NC State is going to get a lot back on offense, I, the, the quarterback position is a big concern. First-year offensive coordinator now, Tim Beck, is a... Uh, <laughs> You know, I, I guess you could do worse, but that's not a guy that has like the most shining reputation right now in coaching circles. I don't say these things, Mike, and, and I don't say these things because I have something against NC State. I don't. I think NC State's kind of fun. Like there, there's 
that's a, a huge stadium that can get rocking in a fun game. Um, they've pulled some pretty magnificent upsets in the past. Mm-hmm. Like I like NC State. I think they're a fun program. I, I, I want to see them do well. That's why I say these things. Is we saw what what this program was able to accomplish in recent years with talent levels that I don't see them getting again in in the near future, and without those talent levels, you have to kind of project back kind of what the backslide is there. So that's my concern. Completely valid that we might see a jump, you know, with some returning production and. Uh, a new offensive coordinator, a new scheme, but that keep in mind that's your third different offensive coordinator in three seasons. I don't know. I, I, I'm I'm just saying, Mike. I'm not saying. I'm just saying. Let me ask you a question. What do you think NC State's ceiling is next season? Next season, uh, let's look at the schedule. Uh, start the season at Louisville. Hmm. Mm. Home against Mississippi State. Anything is possible against Mike Leach in the air raid in week two. Yeah. At Troy, uh, sure, we'll call that a win. I don't really know what Troy is at this point, truthfully. Delaware, let's call that a win at home. Florida State at home, uh, maybe? Pots up. Yeah, we we kind of think that Florida State's going to be a lot better, but who's to say? Duke at home, probably winnable. At Clemson. Definite, definitely winnable. I just don't know if they'll win. Yeah, at Clemson. Definitely winnable. At Clemson, uh, winnable. Uh Wake Forest, <laughs> yeah, probably winnable. I don't. We don't know what Wake Forest is going to be necessarily. Boston College at home, definitely winnable. Um, at Syracuse, sure, that's winnable. If you know by November, if, if everything's starting to click, yeah, for sure. Liberty at home, that's winnable. At North Carolina, might going to be uh, might be tough, but it's a rivalry game. So throw those records out. Who knows what might happen? So. There's really only like one or two games on the on the schedule, Mike, that I would sit here and pencil in as a loss at this point. I mean, most of these, it, it could happen. So I guess maybe what we say here is that this is a really good opportunity for this coaching staff to show off their chops and see what they can make of a schedule that kind of feels like a bunch of toss-ups right now. Yeah, a bunch of toss-ups. So I think NC State's going to be like 7-5. and five. So do you think 7-5 and five gets Steve Doran fired? Um, after eight years, mm, no, no, I don't think it does either. No, I don't think it does not. either. But if you're an NC State fan, you have to look at this and say, you know what? What's our ceiling going to be with Dave Doran? Right? Mm-hmm. They had one team that was supposed to be really, really good, and then what happened, Joey? Wake Forest. Mm, yeah. Yep. And Notre Dame. Yeah. And I'd say Notre Dame kind of started that spiral, then Wake Forest, and oh, oh man. Um, so, anyway, NC State, you, you know, if you're an NC State fan, you got to look at this and say, what's our ceiling with Dave Doran, right? Mm-hmm. And our ceiling is probably eight, eight or nine wins, right? Seems and like in a lot of years, yeah. yeah. And in a lot of years, that's great. You win eight games, you win nine games, you're semi-competitive against Clemson, or at least you try to be. Mm-hmm. Florida State and you know when Florida State's good not when they're bad um, Louisville who's really coming along but then you got to beat teams like Boston College you got to beat Duke in the crossover um, you got to win that that rivalry game against North Carolina which is going to get a lot tougher now that Mac Brown's paying players mm-hmm. so hold on what it's uh, wait what so anyway if you're NC State you got to figure out like 
what do you want out of this moving forward, right? And they got a really ra- rabid fan base, a fan base that's really loyal. But like, what is their ceiling as a team? And NC State was really, really good under Phillip Rivers in the early 2000s. And they were pretty respectable with Russell Wilson, at quarterback. And they were pretty good with Ryan Finley. But like, they haven't been a 10 or an 11, 10 or 11 win program or 12 win program, right? Like they're not, they're not there and they're not that level and they're not going to get there with Dave Doran. So what, what do you want if you're NC state and there's going to be ceilings and everything else, but seven or eight wins is probably where you're going to pin them most years. And if that's fine with you, then Dave Doran's Dave Doran's a fine coach. But if you're trying to kind of break that ceiling, then at some point, seven wins isn't going to be good enough. Eight wins isn't going to be good enough. That's why Steve Adazio is no longer coaching in the ACC. There comes mm-hmm. a point where athletic departments decide, you know what? We're not just going to be good enough anymore. We're going to try to be better than we are right now or better than we have been the last five or 10 years, whatever it's been. And so they're getting to that point now with Dave Doran where it's like, man, is this all we're going to get? Like seven, eight wins? Because if yeah. so, maybe we do want to move in a different direction if we think that the ceiling could be even greater. Yeah. And this is the kind of thing, too, Mike, that – and I, I keep going back to Georgia Tech. Obviously, that's what I know. But this was a pretty heated discussion that basically, on a, in a lot of ways, fractured the fan base at Georgia Tech. It's happening all over the place in the ACC. Yeah. In the final, like, three to four years of the Paul Johnson era there, of people – you know, people kind of cling to the idea that, well, Georgia Tech won a national title in 1990. Um, you know, we're in Atlanta. We can do all these things. Like, why is it we can't do those things consistently? We need to go find a new head coach. And other people saying, uh, you know, careful what you wish for. Don't really believe that you can do those things because of X, Y, and Z. You don't really understand that this guy is a, is winning more than most people should here. You know, yeah, and so it, it's this idea of some people wanting to say, you know, a, a bird in the hand is, you know, better than two in the bush or what, you know, a bird in the hand is worth two in the bush kind of thing. Something like that. I don't know. It's late. I'm tired. Um, but on the other hand, it's, it's people you're saying. You're also young. You're yeah, also young. Too. Yeah. That's, that's not a problem. But anyway, continue. Yeah. And, and on the other hand, people saying, well, but why should we settle for even just above average? You know, why not strive to improve. Um, and so I, I think that's the the nature of this discussion is do we think that with a different head coach, something could really change fundamentally at NC state. Um, and, and truthfully, if you look at the, the historic track record in so many ways, maybe I'm wrong for thinking that changing head coaches would really fundamentally change something. Mike, do you know how many times in NC state's history of, a, of their football program that NC State has finished with double-digit wins in a season. Less than five. Uh, it's less than two. It's once. Well. Yeah. This happened once in 2002, and I believe that was the Phillip Rivers team, um, and it was. Yep. Other than that, you know, this is a program that, in a lot of ways, we all can kind of agree has been cursed. I mean, it has been bad luck here, bad, bad luck losses there, weird things happening. I believe it's called NC State shit. If uh, in, in proper parlance, yep, you know, and, and it's it's unfortunate, and, and I, I I wish better. Yeah, here's it's a fun from fact. A place of love, I promise. It's coming from a place of love. Yeah, here's a fun fact for you. Um, some of you know, or most of you know by now, I grew up a Notre Dame fan. Mm-hmm. January first, two thousand three, I was at the Gator Bowl in Jacksonville 
watching Carlisle Holiday and Notre Dame. Carlisle Holiday, former Notre Dame option quarterback, Carlisle Holiday. Who knew? Yes, and Notre Dame under Tyrone Willingham tried to beat NC State with Phillip Rivers, and that did not go well. Mm -hmm. NC State was really, really good that year, Mm -hmm. and that's their only 10-win season in school history. So there we go. Um, Yes, all your points are valid. I just don't know if they're really going to be able to exceed kind of where they're at right now, and if they want to, then you make a move. Otherwise, you're going to stick with Dave Doran unless it gets real bad. Yeah. Yep. I I don't have anything else to add here. Um, it it really is a discussion of you know what are you willing to risk to uh, to to try to fundamentally uh, elevate the program of what it is. So and a lot of ACC teams are having this discussion, which leads to the next topic. Well, and and last thing, and it's way easier for me to say this about your program, NC State, you know, versus my program that I'm. And you know, personally a fan of. So correct. I'm just lobbing these shots over the fence and hoping that one of them lands. And you know, understood if if uh, you take a little bit of offense to that. But yep. Speaking of uh, programs trying to figure out where they're at, Mike, we've gotten to the point of this where we got to talk about Virginia Tech recruiting stuff. I'm not. It's uh, it's been a roller coaster lately, and I've only been barely watching from afar. But it sounds like. Virginia Tech recruiting Twitter is in a uh, an absolute frenzy right now. They are, because there's a couple different conversations, right? There's a conversation as to whether or not Justin Fuente and his staff can coach on the field, which for the most part, the answer is, yeah, they're probably fine. But then they had the six-win season, and then like two-thirds of last year, they were pretty good. But the month of September was a complete and total shit show. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, they won eight games last year. They have a nine-win season and a ten-win season in his four years in Blacksburg. They also have the worst season in, uh, since 1992 um, under their belt as well. So it's kind of been – it's been mostly okay on the field. Off the field, it had been okay until they signed the 74th-ranked recruiting class a year ago, which they – it was a small class to begin with. So what they needed to do was hit on kind of their top – you know, some of their top guys, which they didn't do. So they finished with a 74th ranked recruiting class. Now this year, by sheer numbers alone, the recruiting class is going to be much better than it was a year ago, just by number of recruits they're going to bring in, Joey. Mm-hmm. So they could end up signing, you know, you know, 15 to 20 three-star recruits, and they could end up with a top 40 class just because they signed, you know, 15 to 20 three-star recruits. It's like a participation now, trophy. Correct. That's that's correct. That's why it's important to look at the average recruiting ranking versus kind of where you're at when it's all said and done like unc has a huge class and they have a top five class in the country right now but if you look at their average recruiting ranking it is lower than some of the schools below them um which is because they just have more recruits than everybody else same things going on at tennessee right now as well so long story short virginia tech had demetrius davis four-star quarterback out of texas kind of the crown jewel of the class the guy that they were trying to build around in this particular recruiting class he was committed uh to virginia tech in november of 2019 so he had been kind of in the boat so to speak for about six months and um all of a sudden you know virginia tech it seemed like they were going to get on this roll about a month ago and we actually i think we talked about on the last podcast it looked like they were starting to kind of move down a really good path recruiting wise and then some of these guys they thought were going to jump in didn't one of those guys in particular is philip riley a defensive back out of florida um 
he was crystal balled by 24-7 to Virginia Tech, looked like he was going to commit, um, didn't, surprised everybody, and committed to Notre Dame, kind of out of nowhere. And Demetrius Davis then decommitted from Virginia Tech the next day. So that was earlier this week, and Demetrius Davis was kind of supposed to be the guy that kind of led Virginia Tech to continue that momentum in Texas. And Joey, this is what happens when you try to have your pipeline state, so to speak, be a state that's not in your general area. So whether you're recruiting Virginia well or not, which Virginia Tech has not done recently, and really not at all under Justin Fuente, um, if you're not going to recruit Virginia well, you better recruit the surrounding mid-Atlantic states well, but they haven't really done that lately either. They recruited North Carolina well when he first got to Blacksburg. They have some of their best players on the team from the state of North Carolina, and then they just kind of completely stopped recruiting there outside of like a handful of guys a class um, the last two years anyway, which that's kind of beyond me. So the coaching staff doesn't really know where they're recruiting. Um, they got a bunch of guys from Texas and Oklahoma on the staff. They're trying to recruit Texas and Oklahoma really well. The only problem is Blacksburg, Virginia is really far away from Texas and Oklahoma, Joey. And you don't play games in Texas or Oklahoma. Correct. That is correct. So what is the tie of Demetrius Davis to Blacksburg? Mm. I mean, it's it was a, it was a surprise when he recruited quite for, uh, when he committed to Virginia Tech, quite frankly. It was mm-hmm. a surprise that Virginia Tech was able to recruit him to the level that they did and get him in the boat. I'll give the coaching staff credit for that, but now it's all for naught because he's no longer committed to Virginia Tech, and unless a miracle happens, he's not going to be in Blacksburg. So anyway, Virginia Tech fell from a top 30 class to, and at one time they were ranked 19th, a 19th ranked recruiting class at one point in time about a month ago to now the 51st ranked recruiting class without Davis. That's how good of a player and how good of a prospect he is. Might be going to Auburn. Miami's pushing for him really hard. Um, Virginia Tech's still in the mix. He's supposed to take a visit to Virginia Tech in June. Um, coronavirus, depending. Yeah, we'll but, see. But we'll see. But regardless, I don't like his chances of ending up in Blacksburg, obviously. So now where does Virginia Tech go from here? And my biggest takeaway, kind of to wrap everything up, is when you're not recruiting well, period, it's a major issue. We talked about Virginia Tech having the worst recruiting class in the Power Five a year ago. And if you have two of those, you're in real trouble. Um, Virginia Tech now, I I think it's a pretty safe bet unless kind of everything does a 180 here, Um, just like it did over the past month. If it does a 180 back in a good direction for Virginia Tech, that'll be great. They'll sign a top 30 class, whatever. But I think what's more than likely is they'll end up between where they should be and where they've historically recruited between 20 and 30 in the country overall. And where they were last year, 74th, they might end up in that 35, 40, 45 range, which isn't great. And I think we're talking about two different things here. Virginia Tech has a ton of potential to be really good this year. It's the same conversation we had just now with UVA, with what they did last year. Mm -hmm. They had a year where they had a lot of veterans on the roster and a chance to be really, really good. Virginia Tech's in that spot again this coming year in the Coastal. I think they have a 10 or 11 win ceiling if everything's clicking on all cylinders. Or they could go 8-4 and again, or 8-5 and with a bowl game and they could have two recruiting classes in a row that didn't live up to expectations. And if that's the case, Justin Fuente and his staff are in trouble because we had the NC State conversation about what their ceiling is. Virginia Tech's got a higher ceiling than NC State historically, so they won't stand for six, seven, eight-win seasons consistently. That's not what they're going to do in Blacksburg, especially with Whit Babcock as the athletic director. The only thing I'm going to add here is that if you see Virginia Tech, especially if they're able to go like, 10 and two, something like that in the regular season somehow. 
and the recruiting class is somewhere in the 40s, I think Justin Fuente's out of there. I think he's in trouble. I, I don't think he's <laughs> getting fired, Mike. They're not going to fire him for a 10-2 and two season. Right. He's going to cut and leave. Because he knows that his stock isn't getting higher than a 10-2 and two season if he's had two straight mediocre at best recruiting classes yep yep and there was the discussion that he had with baylor and a lot of people said oh it was Mm -hmm. a play to get you know more money into the football program and facilities and whatever it may be sure and i think there is certainly some truth to that of course Mm -hmm. um yeah it was all for show mike it was all for show all for show totally all for show sure look i think justin fuente knows what he's dealing with in blacksburg from facilities and football money perspective and I think, especially if he knows what he's doing, look, if Virginia Tech wins 10 games this year, then he's authored two 10-win seasons, a 9-win season, an 8-win season, and a 6-win season in Blacksburg with mediocre recruiting. Mm-hmm. So then it's not a question of whether or not Justin Fuente can coach. It's whether or not Justin Fuente can coach to the highest level in Blacksburg. That's what the question becomes moving forward. So Keep an eye on that, especially if Virginia Tech, like you mentioned, Joey, wins nine or ten games this year and is pretty good. Then it's like, okay, Fuentes had a pretty successful tenure there in Blacksburg without recruiting all that well, Mm -hmm. which might be school limitations more than anything else. It's just something to consider. Well, and and as we mentioned with the Baylor thing, I mean, he seems like a guy who is going to try to move closer to Big 12 country. Um, And I I don't really know where one of those jobs is going to come open anytime soon, but... He is a guy who clearly has a lot of ties to that Texas, Oklahoma region and uh-huh. all that, and I think that's where he's going to gravitate back towards. I would not be shocked, Joey, and a lot of people are going to say, man, Texas would never do this. I Let me just say, I would not be shocked if Virginia Tech went 10-2, and two, had a mediocre recruiting class, and Texas opened up with Tom Herman. Mm-hmm. And say that Texas all of a sudden isn't very good. Now, Texas has an opportunity... Uh, to get whatever coach they want because of how much money is in their football program. Let me say it would not shock me if Justin Fuente were to author a good season in Blacksburg. If he went to Texas, if he recruited at a high level at Texas, and he put together a winning program there, that would not surprise me in the least. Mm-hmm. Here's the I'm trying to remember if Chris Del Conte, the AD at Texas, was the one that hired Tom Herman or not. Um. No, he was not. No, Herman was hired about a year before Del Conte got there. So, yeah, I mean, coach that the AD didn't hire, yeah, I mean, chance that if Tom and Herman doesn't get it all put together in this next season, that, yeah, they go ahead and try to make a move on him. I would be more, I would be way more shocked if them, them landing on Justin Fuente than, uh, than them getting rid of Tom Herman. I do think, I do believe that, Fuente is going to try to go for a Big 12 level job or even something like a, if you try to figure out like a Colorado or something, if that were to open again, which nothing should shock you there, um, you know, that's, that's another option, but just it, it, there's just something about how it doesn't really make sense. If you're, you know, recruiting ties are to Big 12 country and you're trying to recruit to the mid mid Atlantic region of the East coast, like, that, there's a disconnect there, you know, and it, and it makes the most sense, as you mentioned, to recruit A, the state that you're in, B, the states around you, and C, the states that you play games in. And Texas and Oklahoma are so far away from any of those three that 
this is this is you know we'll see i don't know we'll see just because the staff has ties to that area of the country doesn't mean you can bring players across the country to your school right that's all i can say about that it's very hard to pull guy i mean you have to have a special type of player right it's either a top recruit like demetrius davis um, who goes and is going to leave home no matter what. If he's not going to Texas or Oklahoma, he's he's okay with moving far away from home. But a lot of these kids want to stick around in the same state or be in kind of the same general area where they grew up, not go to Blacksburg, Virginia, in the middle of freaking nowhere. Mm-hmm. It's just a conversation worth having. And Virginia Tech just needs to recruit the, the mid-Atlantic area a lot better if they're going to dabble in Texas as much as they are, you can't build an entire recruiting class out of a state that far away. It's just too difficult. Yep. Mike, let's talk NFL draft before we get out of here. Do it. Um, first off, how much of the draft did you watch? Like sit on the couch and actually watch ESPN for? I watched the entire, <laughs> this is actually going to make people laugh. So I watched the, the entirety of the first night. I actually fell asleep uh, before Dalton Keene got picked in <clears throat> night two. I passed out on the couch. Um, as one does yes but then i woke up in the middle of the night realized he was drafted by the patriots wrote an article and got posted to the website um at like 1 1 30 in the morning <laughs> and then i was up pretty much all night after that so that really jacked me up um and then i watched a lot of day three because i'm in quarantine so what else am i gonna do so i watched a lot of the draft joey that's that's surprising i didn't even have that much going on i was catching up on some xbox and watching some banshee and I don't know. I, I've never been the biggest like sit down and watch the draft guy. I, I you know I'll sit there and watch the first round or so, but ultimately I'll just read about it afterwards and yep. You know, especially this year with no stage show going on and the analysis was even more fractured than it normally is and all that. I mean, I, I just wasn't as into it this year. Even but, even Roger Goodell was bored. Yeah. <laughs> Anyways, to each their own. Uh, Mike, the ACC had twenty seven players drafted this year. Uh, there was one player drafted, at least, from 13 of the 14 programs in the ACC. Would you like to guess the program that had nobody drafted? Boston College? Incorrect. They Ooh. had a second rounder. Um, this wake? isn't that hard. No. Syracuse? Nope. Man, I'm on a roll here. Um, one more guess. This, this should be easy. It's actually a team that has had a lot more draft success in recent years than they had before that. Louisville? A team Georgia that, Tech? A team that had a top 10 pick last year. As former quarterback Daniel Jones of the Duke Blue Devils went in the top 10 last year, and Duke had. Duke didn't no, have a single player picked? Duke had no draft picks this year. Which, yeah, that's shocking to me. In, in most years throughout history. You would just sort of shrug your shoulders at that and say, yeah, so what? But in the last, like, you know, five, seven, eight years, they've, they've done much better draft-wise and talent-wise. So They've had a... quite a few guys. They've had quite a few guys pick Daniel Jones, TJ Roming, Jamison Crowder. Like, mm-hmm. they've had guys they've put in the league. Ben Humphreys, even some guys on defense yep. there. So, yeah. Uh, yeah, Duke, the only ACC program that did not have anybody. Clemson led the way with seven. Uh, four came from Miami, and then everybody else had either two or one. Um, so for what it's worth, and so we had three in the first round. Isaiah Simmons, eighth overall out of Clemson. He went to the Cardinals. 
Uh, Mackay Becton out of Louisville, the offensive tackle, goes to the New York Jets. And A.J. Terrell, the cornerback out of Clemson, goes to my Atlanta Falcons. Good Uh, luck. Yeah, it felt like a bit of a reach at 16 overall, but, you know, what are you going to do? I don't know. That was a very lukewarm pick, I felt like. Yeah. Uh, Some other notable names here. Three in the second round. T. Higgins to the Bengals at 33rd overall. He was the first pick of the second round. Cam Akers uh, to the Rams at 52, and A.J. Dillon to the Packers at 62. Um, I think he might could be really good there, especially it sounds like they're going to try to run a little more. I don't know. That's not Yeah. Thing. Yeah. Jordan Love's going to be handing him the ball, too, which is going to be fun. <laughs> <laughs> Discussion for another day. Yep. Sorry, uh, Aaron Rodgers. Okay. Keep we had on. back-to-back picks in the third round. Tanner Muse out of Clemson goes to the uh, Las Vegas Raiders. Before and that was at uh, number one hundred overall. Before at one hundred one, uh, your boy Dalton Keene goes to the New England Patriots. Hell yeah! Uh, let's see, keep going on down at one twenty six. Charlie Heck out of North Carolina, offensive tackle goes to the Houston Texans. Um, Shaq Quarterman, one forty overall to the Jaguars out of Miami. Four picks later, DJ Dallas also out of Miami to the Seahawks. And four picks after that, Alton Robinson, defensive end out of Syracuse, also to the Seahawks. Um, Robinson, in particular, a highly, highly talented player who had some some personal baggage, we'll say, that came with him. Uh, fifth round, 151 overall, three picks later. Joe Reed, uh, wide receiver and return man out of Virginia, goes to the Chargers. Uh, Bryce Hall out of Virginia, also only seven picks later. He goes to the Jets, and that's I think that's going to be an absolute steal there. Yeah, he slipped. Getting Bryce Hall with a fifth-round pick, even realizing he's coming off injury, like, man, that's a hell of a pick. Sign me up. Yep. Yep. Uh, 176, still in the fifth round, K.J. Osborne out of Miami goes to the Vikings. Uh, Wake Forest has a couple of picks here at 178, and then in the sixth round at 195, Justin Heron and Justin Sternad. There's like a consonant missing in his name. I don't know how to pronounce it. Justin Sternad. S-T-R-N. I never did figure that out. Uh, finally, at 206, my Georgia Tech Yellow Jackets had tight end Tyler Davis, known more for his potential than his production. He goes, oh, to, boy. <laughs> he goes to the Jaguars. Yikes. Um, first draft pick they've had in a couple years, and first tight end they've had drafted, I believe, since the 90s, if I'm not mistaken. Um, let's see. Sterling Hoffrichter, the punter out of Syracuse, seventh round. Dude. Etch, etch that. Etch, I'm sorry. Etch that on my. I'm still hung up on your comment you just made. Etch that on my tombstone. Known more for his potential than his production. That is going to be the story of my life. Absolutely. Put that on my grave. Time to change your uh, Twitter Twitter uh, bio, or maybe even just yeah. your uh, your pinned tweet. Either way. Yeah. Yeah. My girlfriend's probably like, yeah, he is known more for his potential than his production. It's like, yep, that that adds up. Uh, oh uh, man! Punter out of Syracuse, Sterling Hoffrichter goes to my Falcons at 228 in the seventh round. One pick after that, defensive end James Smith Williams out of NC State goes to the Redskins. Uh, Dane Jackson, corner out of Pittsburgh, goes to the Bills at 239. Jonathan Garvin, defensive end out of Miami at 242 to the Packers, and Tremaine Ankrum, uh, guard out of Clemson at 250 to the Rams. So overall, three in the first, three in the second, two in the third, and then five in the fourth, seven in the fifth. Uh, so really, kind of middle rounds heavy here for the ACC. 
Anybody really sticking out here, Mike, that you feel like is a really good fit? Uh, we mentioned Bryce Hall would be a real good steal. Any Anything really stick out to you here? Yeah, Bryce Hall's a steal for sure. Um, he's kind of the top of the list. Mm -hmm. um, just And because he's coming off injury, I get why he slipped. I was surprised he slipped that far. This is like a first or second round talent without the injury concerns. Um, and I think COVID really hurt him because he wasn't able to kind of show how healthy he was. Mm -hmm. I think that really played into it, the fact he couldn't really show scouts much of anything in the pre-draft process as far as how he recovered and what he looked like coming off of that injury that he had to his ankle. Uh, but yeah, I think that's going to be a steal, assuming that he's healthy. Um, the two guys kind of in the earlier rounds that really stuck out to me. Um, well, number one, Becton. So I, I mentioned Louisville. I, I love how I mentioned Louisville is like not having a draft pick. And then, yeah, they just had one in the top 10 with Becton, one of the <laughs> most massive and most athletic offensive linemen I've ever seen going to the Jets. 11th while I, we're fact-checking you, but that's fine. Yes, yes. Um, so very good. And then the two other guys who I think are going to fit in seamlessly with their new teams, T. Higgins going to the Bengals. So you got Joe Burrow at quarterback and you have A.J. Green at one receiver spot, and now you're fitting in. You get to learn from one of the best receivers in the NFL on the other side of the field, and you get to play with a guy who you squared off against in the national championship in Joe Burrow, throwing you passes. Um, real tough sledding there as a rookie, I'm sure. So I think the Bengals will actually be better in a hurry um, because they haven't really been bad for too long. But a lot of potential there with their offense. And then the one other guy is Dalton Keene with the Patriots. They turn out tight ends like it's going out of style. Um, he was criminally underused in Virginia Tech's offense, but he did a little bit of everything. He's a really good blocker. He's really elusive in the open field, catches everything. I think he had one drop in like three years. So mm -hmm. <laughs> I think they probably should have thrown him the ball a little bit more. Uh, but he's re a really athletic tight end. Um, he's going to have to obviously pick up that Patriots offense, which is a lot different from what he was doing at Tech, lining up as an H-back most of the time. He's not going to be more of a conventional tight end, but you can line him up everywhere. I think the Patriots will use him well on offense. They really need a tight end. I think he helps. So those are kind of a handful of guys there. Yeah, a couple guys that stuck out to me here. I feel like the Rams at 52 just got great, great value on Cam Akers. I I don't think he ever was able to shine at Florida State the way he would if he had a functioning offensive line most of the time. Um, I think he could fit really well in their offense and do a lot of good things. I think that's a really good pick. Um, the other name that jumped out to me, Alton Robinson. Again, we mentioned him to the Seahawks. I think he could be a really, really good player. Um, Joe Reed in, in the fifth round is a really intriguing name to me with the Chargers. Um, and he'll be playing out there with Justin Herbert. Uh, they had a, their first-round quarterback drafted there. Um, yeah, I felt like there were a few good picks here. I, I'm I, I'm interested to see where some of these guys land because I do think that there's some potential here for some of these guys to jump up and, and outperform their draft spots, that's for sure. Yeah, the, the one other one that you mentioned and we touched on quickly, A.J. Dillon with the Packers. Mm -hmm. <laughs> like. I didn't really understand Green Bay's draft at all. Like, okay, let's draft a guy to replace one of the best quarterbacks in the game who's still got plenty of gas left in the tank. Um, so let's go draft Jordan Love. And then, oh, Aaron Jones led the league in touchdowns last year. Let's draft A.J. Dillon with our second pick. Mm -hmm. So I didn't really understand the draft from the Packers standpoint, but as far as A.J. Dillon's fit with that offense, oh, yeah. 
mm-hmm. pound the rock in Green Bay with AJ Dillon, a guy who literally runs over, around, and through everybody. Yep. And it's done it for a while. And I guess the one concern there would be like tread on the tires with as many carries as he had at Boston College. I don't think Green Bay's worried about that, Joey. Yep. The uh, the one guy that sticks out here whose name wasn't called, and we, we had mentioned for a while that we weren't super sure that his name was going to get called, was Bryce Perkins. Um, yep. He was not drafted. He was a, uh, an undrafted free agent who signed with the Rams, so he will get to a – well, hang on. No, no. Not with Chargers player Joe Reed. He'll be going to the Rams, the other team in Los Angeles, where he'll be playing with Cam Akers. That'll be fun. Same city, though. They can go to lunch or something. Yeah, yeah, sure. Um, so we'll, we'll see how he does. Um, I, I don't think he's going to make it as a quarterback, just my personal opinion. Yep. Um, I, I think, I think there's a chance there with some, you know, with all of his athleticism that he can make it playing different positions. So I think that's a guy to keep an eye on. Um, was there anybody else, Mike, that you're thinking of that was an undrafted free agent that was kind of a surprise? Uh, I wouldn't say a huge surprise, but um, Reggie Floyd, Virginia Tech safety, didn't get drafted. Um, but he was a priority free agent signing with mm-hmm. the Cardinals. He signed like literally right as the draft ended. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so you figured if the Cardinals had one more pick, they were probably taking Reggie Floyd. Um, he signed right away. He struggled in pass coverage at times at Virginia Tech, but he was a really reliable player against the run. And he didn't really have any like baffling mistakes over the course of his career where you looked at him, you're like, man, that guy's a liability. Mm-hmm. Like he was a solid, reliable player. Um, he had like a billion tackles at Virginia tech. Mm-hmm. Um, he's probably, I, I, be- I believe he's top 10 in school history. I don't know where he sits, but he's one of the better defensive players in school history for Virginia tech, believe it or not. Just a really reliable player was never flashy. He needs to improve against the pass, but he had a really good career on special teams. Um, kind of before he emerged as a three-year starter at safety, um, played special teams prominently for two straight years um, when he first started playing for the Hokies. So I think that's a potential path for him to make the Cardinals. But we'll see. Yeah. Uh, other than that, if there's somebody that we missed, by all means, reach out to us. Let us know on Twitter or send us an email. Um, we'll, we'll get into that here in just a second. Mike, I, Ryan Willett. Ryan Willett, yeah. <laughs> you know who did get drafted, and you pointed this out when it happened. Our man, our lord and savior, Ben DiNucci. Oh my God! Former Pitt quarterback. I so you, I'll have you all know as soon as it happened, I texted Joey and I was like, "Oh my God, is this happening? This is happening." Ben DiNucci is a guy who came around once in a blue moon on this podcast, <laughs> and Pitt was just rotating quarterbacks that year. I mean, they just they couldn't find a quarterback. Lo and behold, Ben DiNucci leaves Pittsburgh, goes to James Madison, ends up getting freaking drafted in the NFL. It's insane. There, there's a lot going on with what you just said, and we don't have enough time left on this podcast to break it all down. <laughs> no, more for his potential than his production. That is correct. <laughs> oh, man. Uh, ben DiNucci. What a time. Uh, Mike, that's all I got. Anything else before we get out of here? That was plenty. I think so. That was more than enough. Um, all right. We are going to get out of here. We're going to keep trying to come back every so often and uh, – make some content to entertain you guys. But in the meantime, you guys can find us on Twitter. I am at FTRS Joey. He is at Mike McDaniel SI and together we're at BC podcast ACC. And by the way, tweet us with your undrafted free agents who uh, did not really make our list here. And no, I do not need to hear about Nathan Cottrell of Georgia tech, the uh, special teams specialist, not, not like a punter or kicker, but like a gunner. 
and running back and such that the Jaguars signed? Yeah, I we'll, we'll see. Um, anyways, reach out to us if there's other people that you think were notable undrafted free agents, then we can uh, we can talk through those. Uh, Mike, they can find us on iTunes, on Google Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, Breaker, the Overcast app, wherever fine podcasts are sold for free, and most importantly, on the Anchor app. Um, so go find us in one of or all of those places and share us with your friends, please. Get your friends please. involved. Please do. Uh, Mike, you want to tell them where they can find us on the social medias? Facebook, facebook.com slash basketball conference rate review. Find all of your podcasts there. Please do, please do. And, and before I forget, you can also send us an email to the longest email address known to man, basketballconferencepodcast at gmail.com. Nailed it. Thank you. Uh, yeah, I almost forgot. We're, we're that badly out of the saddle here. So uh, we're going to keep working on this. But we're less out of the saddle than we were last time we recorded. That is correct. That is correct. We are uh, kind of trying to get back in the groove here. So keep us honest here. Yep. Uh, Mike, all I got. Anything else before we get out? I'm going to try to get a haircut before next time we record. Yeah, same. Outlook, not really all that promising right now. Not great. There is a chance that the wife might cut my hair. And that that sounds awful, but like I usually just get buzz cuts. So like, how hard can it be, right? Maggie's an engineer. She'll figure it out. Yeah. Somebody get a sound clip of, it's a buzz cut. How hard can it be? And then put that up next to my haircut when we're done. And that'll be content in and of itself. Yes. And we will put it up on social media. And Joey will immediately tag me with that that quote. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Yikes. Um, One last little bit before we leave, Mike. And I I think it's important that you know this. Yep. Ben DiNucci finished his career at James Madison, ranking third in completions, fourth in passing touchdowns and passing yards, and seventh in total offense. Legend. Known known more for his potential than for his production (laughs) at Pittsburgh. At Pittsburgh, that's correct. At Pittsburgh. That is correct. But James Madison, legend. Legend. Uh, One of the best to ever grace those grounds. (laughs) Those fine grounds of Harrisonburg. And on that note, Mike. Go Dukes. Go Dukes. That's right. Uh, we are going to bail out, and uh, we'll talk to the people sometime here soon, very soon, as yep. we uh, get more news that comes out of the nothing. Stay safe, people. That's right. Please do. Thank you guys so much for listening. Until next time, for Mr. Mike McDaniel, I am Joey Weaver. We will talk to you again soon. And until then, go ACC. Go ACC.